You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. Well, my name's Robin. Uh, If you don't know me, uh, I am an associate pastor here and I teach Bible in a Christian school at Lake Worth Christian, uh, to a bunch of high schoolers. So um, I always say that I have the best jobs ever. Um, so um, there are people that pay me to study the Bible and teach it to a bunch of teenagers. So that's a pretty cool thing. Um, it's an exciting thing, and uh, we do get the opportunity a lot, whether it's through here or through that ministry, um, which Pastor Daniel is also connected to as a board member, where we get to make disciples and see kids grow in their faith and uh, pray over some of these young people because we know whoever's going to be standing in a pulpit in 10, 15 years from now is in those classrooms right now or in our youth groups right now or maybe not even saved right now. And God's going to use us to bring them unto himself. So uh, we're always uh, grateful for those opportunities. So uh, tonight we're going to be in Exodus chapter 30. And so for the last several um, months, years, it feels like, okay, uh, we've been talking about the tabernacle. We've been talking about the tabernacle. And I absolutely love studying the tabernacle. There's so many typologies uh, when it comes to Christ. Uh, there's so many things, so many details inside of this. And Pastor Daniel's done a great job of showing us this picture of Jesus as we dig into the individual details of the inner tents and the outer tents of the Holy of Holies and uh, the Ark of the Covenant and the showbread and all of these things that we've talked about so far. And all of it points right back to the fact that probably the most profound doctrine that you can ever learn in your entire life, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And every bit of the things that we're studying right here in the book of Exodus points right back to that truth. And so I told you I teach high school. And in the, this thing, I don't know why, it's just I'm struggling with it. Uh, but I, I, in my Bible class, I tell the students as we start in the book of Genesis, as you get into the fall, I say, guys, this is the beginning of what we call the divine romance. The divine romance. God had perfect intimacy with his creation He walked in the garden with them. And then sin came in and he broke that intimacy. And man was separated from God. And from that moment there where where man was separated from God, God has been pursuing us and coming after us because he loves us. And then there was that day where he proposed to us. But he didn't get down on his knee. He spread his arms out. And he said, hey, will you marry me? I want you to be my bride. This is the most beautiful romance that you can read. This is the most incredible story ever given. God is pursuing us, his bride. And so you guys know, most of you, you've either been through the ideas of dating and romance to marriage and all of these things, and it's exciting. And then then the marriage comes, and like I said, that was Jesus' proposal to us. He says, come and marry me. I want you to be my bride. And many of us have made that decision and we've taken that step. But let me tell you something, church. God is not like us. He never gets out of the honeymoon stage. He is spending his days wowing you 
every single day, just like you did in those early honeymoon stages. And so as we study his word, he wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to wow you. He wants to show you how much he loves you and show you how to love him back. And so that's what we look at as we get into these pictures. And that's why we've spent the amount of time that we've spent taking apart the tabernacle and showing you. And there's Jesus in that little tiny detail over there. And that clasp up there, there's Jesus too kind of holding all things together, right? That's what he does for us. And in those linen curtains, in those colored curtains, in every piece of it, and tonight we're going to finish the last details of the building of the tabernacle. The last details. And so this is called the altar of incense from Exodus chapter 30. I'm going to read the scripture and then we're going to pray together as we dig into this. In Exodus chapter 30 and verse 1, it says, You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, a cubit its breadth. It shall be square, and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and around its sides and its horns. And you shall make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make two rings for it. Under its molding, on the two opposite sides of it, you shall make them. And they shall be holders for poles which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put in the front of the veil, put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it or a burnt offering or a grain offering. And you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. With the blood of sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your passionate pursuit of us. How much you love us, Lord, and how much you want to continue to reveal yourself and share more and more, Lord, as Uh, we continue on in this relationship with you. And we thank you for that, Jesus. And we would ask you, Lord, tonight for you to speak to us through your word. Lord, that we may know you better. Lord, we study your word, not to know the word, not to be puffed up or proud, Lord, but to know you through it. Lord, your love letter to us. Lord, so we just ask, Lord, just reveal yourself in a mighty way. Lord, we ask that your spirit would be upon us and guide us, Lord, and that the words of my mouth, Lord, would bring glory to you above all things. So we thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we start with the plans to build an altar. We start with the plans to build the altar of incense. And we see uh, the same type of plans as we see in the Ark of the Covenant. We start with acacia wood and we cover it with gold. Okay, And you'll see very similar details. And it talks about the fact that cover its top with gold, cover its sides with gold, put little horns on the corners. Okay, That's kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? Put little horns on the corners, right? And so he says, put little horns on the corners, right? 
and covered the whole thing with gold. And it's going to be about this size. Cubit's about 18 inches, right? So we're talking about 18 inches by 18 inches, and then two cubits high, okay, which is about 36 inches, so about four inches shorter than this table. I think these are about 39 to 40 inches tall. So you can imagine if we just squared out this table here, lowered it a couple of inches, that's about the size of this box, and that's all it is, okay? It's a very small thing, okay? And the whole purpose of this altar of incense, this one's profound, you guys, it's for burning incense. Whoa! Revelation. That's good. I can sit down. Okay. All right. So, so we see, and just like we've talked about with the Ark of the Covenant, when we see this idea of this acacia wood, right as you're about to enter in, when we saw the Ark of the Covenant, it's inside of the Holy of Holies, right? And we know that that idea is that is where the presence of God lies. And to get inside of there, only the high priest could do that. But we know that when Jesus was on the cross, that veil was torn and we have direct access into that Holy of Holies. But this altar of incense, if this is the altar of incense, then I would be the veil. That's how close it needs to be. It says right in front of the veil, right there. And so we have another representation of Jesus. We have another representation of Jesus. And so I love, we, we always say, interpret scripture with scripture. It's one of the primary principles of hermeneutics. That's a big Bible word, (laughs) hermeneutics, right? And it's just principles of studying the Bible. It's actually a simple term. It just has a big fancy word, right? But it's interpret scripture with scripture. Interpret scripture with scripture. So we look at these things from scriptures, all right? And we see this incense that God is commanding. He's created this small altar for it, and he's commanding the people to burn incense. Incense. Now, your first thought here might be, well, that makes perfect sense. What's going on outside of this tent? Blood. Lots of blood. And more blood, and more blood, and more blood. I don't know about you guys, but on the weekends, I tend to do a lot of cooking. I'll, I'll, I'll do a lot of food prep for the week. And so I'll open up these chicken packages or take some stuff out of the freezer and it's got just a little bit of that juice left in the bottom. I'll steal that, throw that in the trash. And if I forget to take that trash out. Yeah. So you can only imagine that this amount of blood outside in this place probably didn't smell very good. Right? And that is actually one of the purposes of this. We want it to smell good, but it's got more purposes. So we want to talk about this. Incense equals the prayer of the saints. Isn't that beautiful? And and I didn't make that up, guys. That's Revelation chapter 5. Let's look at Revelation chapter 5. Okay, in in verse 8, all right? And so we have John, and John has been taken up to heaven, and he's walking around heaven, okay? you got to imagine John's walking around with his jaw dragging on the ground right now, going, <gasps> looking at all this stuff, okay? And, and so this is what it says. And it says that he was looking for someone that was worthy to unroll the scroll, to break the seal on the scroll. And it says, then Jesus, the lamb, had come, and he was worthy. All right? 
And it says here in verse 8, it says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. See, I ain't making this stuff up. The incense represents the prayers of the saints. Now, here's the interesting thing, right? When we repent and come before the Lord to get into the presence of Jesus, what do we do first? Lord Jesus, I just ask you to forgive me for my... We pray. We pray. And this is something that God has actually called us to on a regular basis. And we'll see this as God is instructing for Aaron and his family to do this on a regular basis. Now, I couldn't leave this part out. All right, because I love this part from the book of Revelation. Okay, it talks about the bowls of incense, right? Which are the prayers of the saints. Y'all ready for this? Okay, you need to be praying. And even when you feel like your prayers are not being answered, go to Revelation chapter 8 and know it's coming. It's coming. Watch this. Revelation chapter 8, 3 through 5. And another angel came and stood at the altar with the golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayer of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth where there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Guys, this is telling us Those prayers are powerful. This angel in the book of Revelation is holding the prayers of the saints. He's holding the prayers of the saints. They're precious to him as he's getting ready to to pour out some of this wrath that's going to come down upon the earth. And, And it all coincides together. These prayers of the saints have great value to the Lord in heaven. If you're anything like me, sometimes you're like, Lord, do you hear me? I've been asking for a long time. I got one kid that I've been ministering to for years, years. He's stubborn. He's real stubborn. And I praise the Lord that he keeps coming back. But just the other day, I was like, Lord... Is he ever going to get saved? But then I remember reading this story one time when I was reading, uh, I think it was an autobiography of George Mueller or something like that. He said that he prayed for 44 years for a friend of his before the guy ever got saved. 44 years. I've been praying for about five years for this kid. I'm like, come on, Lord, come on! Where are you at? Right? But this encourages me. This gives me hope because I know that those prayers that I've prayed for this young man and for other young people just like him, the angel's standing there holding them in a bowl, waiting for the perfect time. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that so cool? That's just such an amazing thing. All right. Uh, let's go on and read uh, verses 11 through. We got to cover 33 verses, so we got to get on our giddy up here and get through this thing, right? Okay, uh, there's a little bit of my Kentucky for you. 
Okay. <laughs> verse 11. Verse 11. Verse 11 says, The Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 geras, a half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When you give more, when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement, for your lives. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and you shall give it to the service of the tent of meeting that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. I love verse 15. Verse 15 is really beautiful. It says, the rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less. The price is equal when it comes to paying atonement. The price is equal when it comes to paying atonement. God doesn't do this very often in the Bible. He doesn't command his people to take a census very often. And one of the reasons that he doesn't do that is because he doesn't want these men to get big headed and go, look how big we are. So when we go to battle, we know that we did it because now we're like 2.5 million people. And we're strong and we're big and we have lots of stuff. No, he wants them to go, hey, that was all the Lord. 100%. Every time. Every time. All right? So he does call them to take census from time to time. And this is a strange positioning of this particular passage of Scripture, right? So he's telling him, he's telling Moses, he's like, hey, build an altar of incense that represents the prayers of the saints and all of these things, kind of our our rite of passage into the Holy of Holies through Jesus, our mediator. There's so much to unpack inside of there, and we'll get back to that in a few minutes. And he takes a break and he says, and take a census and make them all pay just a little bit, okay? But make everybody pay exactly the same thing. And we're going to call this a ransom or the atonement, okay? So I'm like, what is happening here? But those same words are used later on by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 through 6. It says, For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as an, a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. This is a representation of the atonement price that would be paid by Jesus Christ for us to have access. Now, Jesus didn't pay it with a shekel. He didn't. Jesus was ransomed for 30 shekels, wasn't he? Jesus was ransomed for 30 shekels. But the atonement price that Jesus paid was his blood. The atonement price that Jesus paid for us was his blood. And that's why I love verse 15. 
because it says it doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter who you are, where you came from. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter anything about you. The price is equal for every single one of us. Male, female, it doesn't matter. The price is the same. Right? It's the reminder that we're all sinners in need of a holy God. We're all sinners in need of a holy God. We've got to remember, what is the purpose of the tabernacle? The whole purpose of the tabernacle is so that God can dwell among us, so that He can continue on in this divine romance that He has with His people. He's creating a place for them that says, hey, come unto me. Dwell in my presence. I'm making space for you. I want you. I want you to be around me. I want to have that intimacy with you yet again. Are there boundaries right now? Yes. Are there boundaries right now? No, not in the same way that we see them. In the scripture that we're reading right now, are there boundaries that had to be set up? Yes, there is. But God is making a way. He's always making a way. All throughout the Old Testament, we see it everywhere we go. God is making a way. God is making a way. It's really incredible. Let's keep reading. In verse 17, it says, The Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water, so they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet, so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. So God said, make a sink, but make it a bronze this time. You guys remember what bronze represents? It represents judgment, right? Okay, it represents judgment. And we know that our price, our judgment has been removed from us as God has washed us clean. He's washed us clean. Now, look what it says right here. It says, and they shall wash their hands and they shall wash their feet. Now, we'll know that as we go through Scripture, if you've read anything, if you've even seen The Chosen, right? Or you've read through the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you'll see all about ritual washings. You see it all over the place, right? The Jewish people became so obsessed with ritual washings that they had these ordinances, okay, where they would have seven different bowls of water to wash their hands as they came into the house. Okay? And y'all remember that story, water to wine? Okay, we sing a song about it. Water you turn to wine. Remember that story? Those were most likely foot washing jars at the door. They were foot washing jars. They didn't keep water around for drinking purposes because most water wasn't potable. Okay? That means drinkable. 
right? You'll see on some of these big trucks out there, they say non-potable water. That means don't take a drink, okay? But most of the water during that day really wasn't that drinkable. So these big vats of water that would have been at the door was because they were having a wedding and that was used for foot washing. And so we see that God orders the priest in this moment so that you don't die. Do you see how he repeated that multiple times? Now, you've got to remember, this stuff's not even happening yet. Moses is just getting the instructions. He's just getting the instructions. We got all these other books of the Pentateuch that break down it actually being built, put into place, doing all of these things, and them actually practicing these things. Moses is getting the instructions. Imagine writing this down. Build a wash tub. Okay, got it, Lord. Make it out of bronze. Bronze, got it, Lord. Put some water in it. Water in it. So they don't die. Don't. How many times a day do they need to wash? In the morning. In the evening. Every time they do anything that deals with blood and makes them unclean. Wash up. Wash up. I love last week when Pastor Daniel was talking about uh, the consecration of the priest, right? Do you remember? It was, I think it was two weeks ago maybe, right? It was, they got him on the ear, they got him on the thumb, they got him on the big toe. That the things that I hear, the things that I do with my hands and the places that I go would all be consecrated before the Lord. That hit me. I'm like, dang, that's good. I love that, right? And here we go again. Wash those hands. Wash those feet. That the things that I do and the places that I go, that I may be righteous before the holy God. Now remember, the priests were called, okay? No shoes, y'all. No shoes. And they'd stop in the middle of the desert. Now, I've been to the Wadi Rum. That's one of the, that's part of the place. Okay, this is called the Desert of Sin in Jordan. Hard packed sand, dirt. So when they set this tabernacle up, it wasn't like they were rolling in the grass, enjoying the mat. No, it was nasty. It was dirty ground. And so God said, wash your hands and wash your feet. And imagine, imagine if you were a priest and somebody brought you a little lamb. That's a tough job. Say, okay, I, I, I want you to slaughter this little lamb. He's perfect. Yeah. But there would be blood everywhere. In the book of Revelation, when it talks about Jesus, the rider on the white horse, it says he's dressed in his white robes and it's indicating his priestliness. And it tells us his names. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Okay? And it says in his robes at the end are stained with blood. Think about that. These priests, as they would do these things, imagine what their feet would look like as the blood would run off from them as they prepared these burnt offerings, as they prepared these sacrifices. And they had to take blood. The priests had to take blood. Remember those little horns on the corners? They had to take blood and they had to go to all of the horns, not just the altar of incense, but all of the horns. And they had to smear the blood of the lamb upon the corners of each of these altars and each of these things. Okay? So they needed to wash their hands and they needed to wash their feet. 
And there's so much here, guys, that we could unpack, but we'd be here until like 8.30. Everybody good? All right, we won't unpack it as much as I want to, okay? Uh, so that's the crazy thing, and I know Pastor Daniel mentions that all the time. As a pastor, sometimes you're reading and you're like, oh, it's so good, oh, it's so good. I can't share all of this. It's like a book this thick that it would be if I put my sermon together and shared every little detail about every little thing that God's doing through just this little passage of Scripture. I came in, I, I texted Pastor Daniel, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to teach the whole chapter. He said, good luck. <laughs> There's a lot. I even thought about teaching two chapters, <laughs> but we would be here until eight. All right, so listen, okay? When we think about these types of things, uh, we talk about this idea, and we, and we go back to Jesus, right? Remember that night when Jesus was up in that upper room last week when we were practicing communion? We talked about this a little bit. And Jesus, he, he girded himself, and he put a little towel on, and, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. He began to wash the disciples' feet. He took a basin, and he began to wash their feet. And Peter said, Lord, do not wash my feet. That's servant work. And I will not let you wash my feet. That is the Robin Paraphrase version of that verse, okay? Don't quote it, okay? Listen, I'm kidding. But that's pretty much what Peter said. Don't do it, Lord. Don't do it. And the Lord said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. And he said, then wash my body. Give me clean from head to toe. And Jesus looked at him and he said, you are clean, Peter. I've already cleaned you. But your feet got dirty from walking around. So let me just wash those. And so these priests, as they were doing the work, it was dirty work. And they were getting dirty. And God made them a little wash tub. And he said, here, wash your hands, right? Wash your feet. Keep yourself clean. Before you go in, purify yourself. Purify yourself. Wash the blood off of your hands. Wash the blood off of your feet. And purify yourself. Okay? We need that. We need that. It's called sanctification, folks. It's a daily process of us being cleansed in the Word of God. It tells us all the time. In the book of Galatians, it tells us, it tells husbands, wash your wives in the word. We don't do it with water anymore. I, you see it sometimes churches will have these ceremonies and it'll be like, guys, we are going to have an old fashioned foot washing. And about half the church gets up and leaves. Be like, I ain't touching my feet. Y'all don't know. I got something growing on that toe. I, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> But it's weird, isn't it? Right? It's weird. It's weird. It's partially because it's a different culture. Imagine if every day you went into somebody's house and you, somebody washed your feet as you were walking in the door. You wouldn't feel so weird about coming to church and people washing your feet, would you? But the fact that we keep our feet covered up most of the time here in Florida, we show them quite a bit. But most of the time we keep them covered up, right? Then it's a different cultural aspect. But the truth of the matter is, guys, is the practice is not the same, but the principle is. Stay clean. 
We need a daily refreshing and washing before the Lord in His Word. Let's keep moving. Woohoo! We're going to make it, y'all. The anointing oil and the incense. The Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, sweet smelling cinnamon, half as much, 250. 250 of aromatic cane and 500 of cassia. For those of you guys that are into essential oils, you know what all that stuff is. For those of us that aren't, we've heard of it, but really don't know what most of it is, right? Uh, some of these things you've definitely heard of before, like the myrrh, cinnamon, okay? Uh, so, and it says, according to the shekel of the sanctuary and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the table and all its utensils, and the lampstand and the utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offerings with all its utensils and the basin and its stands. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them and they, that they may serve me as priest. And you shall say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person and you shall make no other like it in its composition. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. Anointed. Set apart. Anointed to be set apart. We see in the book of Leviticus, I remember Pastor Daniel saying he tried to sneak a whole teaching of Leviticus in the middle of this, so I had to. Well, you see in the book of Leviticus, chapter 8, verses 10 through 12, the practice of anointing with oil, and it would be this oil. Moses would use it to consecrate the utensils of the tabernacle and then would pour it on the high priest's head. And then the sons of Aaron's had the oil mixed with blood of the sacrifice sprinkled upon them for purification, all right? And they usually took some twigs of hyssop, and they'd mix it together in this oil, and they would splash it. A little bit of oil, a little bit of seasoning, some spice, and some blood. Okay? And they would splash it. And this was purification. It's a beautiful picture as we look at Aaron being anointed, that our high priest was anointed. And when we look back to what we were talking about, when we were talking about the, uh, the lampstand, when, we uh, when we were teaching about the lampstand, that oil, that represents the Holy Spirit. So when we see oil in the Scripture like this, we see the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would be poured upon the high priest. And it would come over his head and it would drip down into his beard. And anytime you got near him, you smell like Thanksgiving. <laughs> Cinnamon, keisha, these are all these things, right? You smell good. 
You smell great. Right? He had a dirty job. But the Lord wanted him to smell good. Because you know what? If you've been baptized in the Spirit of God, if God's Spirit dwells in you, Galatians chapter 2 Verse 20 says, I've been crucified together with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. If that's true about you, and that oil, that sweet anointing of the Lord has been poured over your head and it's saturated your being like the priests were saturated, then you should be a fragrant aroma to everybody you come in contact with. Because they should see Jesus. They should see Jesus. God is purifying us. This sweet-smelling oil, he called him to make a lot of it. I think he had big plans for it. This is like 12 pounds of myrrh. Can you imagine what six pounds of cinnamon looks like? Y'all ever seen cinnamon sticks? I don't think they weigh an ounce. How many cinnamon sticks is it going to take, right? I'm just saying, y'all, this is a lot of stuff. Myrrh is interesting. We see it in the birth of Jesus, right? It's a gift that's brought to him. It was an oil that was commonly, I mean, a fragrance that was commonly used to anoint the dead to keep them from stinking. Cinnamon, cane, and cassia, these would be sweet. Very aromatic. And they have great purpose because our priest who was anointed, here's the interesting thing, right? We know that Jesus is the second person in the Trinity. But we know that he also went and got baptized, right? Just to, in obedience, in a model for us. And we know that when he got baptized, we see this also as this pouring out of the Holy Spirit, as it says, and like a dove, the Spirit of God fell upon him from the heavens. John's like, and I saw something like a dove descending out of heaven upon Jesus as I dipped him in the water. And then I heard the voice of the Father. And so you see this beautiful picture of that sweet, fragrant aroma of that oil being poured over him in that moment. Did he need it? No. But he did want to give us an example of what it was going to look like for us, of what we need, right? Of what we need. Guys, as we kind of come to the end of our little passage of Scripture here, it's important for us to, to realize that this whole idea of the priest being anointed, of all of these things being anointed, is pointing us more and more to Jesus and His love 
for us and how much he wants us to be in his presence and all of the things that he's done to show us that. So we see this. As, as they prepared all of these things, these blood offerings, these fragrant smelling aromas for the anointing oil and the, the splashing of oil over all of these things that would, would constantly get blood smeared on them. Clean them up. Make them smell good. Okay? It's interesting because it says when it makes this, and I love this part, right? It says, and use some salt. I read that. I was like, really? Salt? You know, the first thing that came to my mind was Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, you are the salt and the light of the world. Salt is, is something that's really good to preserve, okay, and to purify. It preserves and it purifies. So to add that into this anointing oil, is really beautiful because when we're anointed with the Holy Spirit, He preserves us and He purifies us, right? He does. The Bible actually says He keeps us accountable. You know those, those terrible feelings when you're like, I want this, but I know it's not good for me. Not about eating, about sin. I want to do that. Paul says, I do the things that I know that I shouldn't, and I don't do the things that I know that I should. And how did he know? Because the Spirit of God was in him and said, don't do those things. And so when we're filled with the Spirit of God in this sweet aroma, with this salt of, of, of preservation and purification, the Spirit goes, hey, dummy. That's how he speaks to me, because that's the only way I listen. <laughs> He's not being mean. He just knows that that's how I function. So he goes smack me up the back of the head and go, Hey! Hey! I'm kidding. Jesus called us to be salt and light. Let's finish this up real quick. 34 through 38. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices. Can't even pronounce these. Stacte. Oncha. Galbanum. Sweet spices, we'll just call them sweet spices, with pure frankincense, of each shall there be an equal part, and make an incense blended by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, there it is again, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small and put part of it on the testimony of the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall make not for yourselves, it shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as a perfume shall be cut off from his people. Ephesians 5.2 tells us, Therefore be imitators of Christ as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and give, gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It tells us that God sacrificed, that Jesus' sacrifice on that cross was a fragrant aroma, a fragrant aroma to the Father. It tells us that as Jesus poured himself out, the Father was pleased and it was beautiful. 
Or in 2 Corinthians 2.16, it says, But thanks be to God, who is in Christ, always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death and the other a fragrance from life to life who is sufficient for these things. When we look at the offerings that the wise men brought to Jesus, we saw myrrh. And we also see frankincense, which is the main herb, the main spice in this uh, incense that the Lord has called them to make to create this sweet fragrance to the Lord. We talked about that aroma going up to the Lord being the prayer of the saints. It's also worship. Our worship. As we serve the Lord, in whatever he's called us to. He sees that as a fragrant aroma, a sweet smell. This frankincense at Jesus' birth would point him as our high priest, giving him the, the spices and the things that were necessary to create these oils, the anointing oil and the fragrant aroma that the high priest would need to be able to prepare this fragrant aroma. God prepares everything. Our worship to the Lord is a fragrant aroma. I was reading a book this week, and in it, the author talks about how positions change our mindset, how our positions, how our body language changes our mindset. And I was thinking about it as we were worshiping. And you know, I can be having a terrible day and I can come in here and I can not want to. Yeah, that happens, guys. It happens. You can come in here and not want to. And if you will put yourself in a position of worship before the Lord and allow him to minister to you while we sing songs. I watched a video it's the most watched video on all of YouTube with over 23 million views, I think. And it's a secular video about body language changing your attitude. And you know what she says? She's a psychologist. She says, hey, before you go into an interview, before you go do something big, go into the bathroom and stand like this for two minutes, and it will completely change your mindset. Because you know why? Because this is the sign of victory. And when that runner runs across the finish line, and he gives that sign of victory with his arms thrown up in the air, there's a release in his brain that changes his chemical mindset and the way that he looks at life. And I thought to myself, this secular woman standing there, is saying, raise your hands in worship to Jesus because it's going to change your life. <laughs> Guys, this is fragrant aroma to the Lord. What we're doing in this place is fragrant aroma to the Lord. God said, set that altar right outside of that tent. And by the way, I'm going to tear that veil so that you can come right in. 
You can come right up to that altar of incense. You can do the prayers of the saints that I'll collect in golden bowls in heaven. And you can come in and burn that fragrant incense of worship and prayer before me as you come into my holy presence. I want to end with this reminder from Spurgeon. Everybody's got to love Spurgeon. I mean, come on, y'all. He said, when oil was poured on a man, his presence scented the air around him. And when the Spirit of God is given to us, it is perceived by other spiritual minds. Cannot you detect in a brother's prayer that he has been with Jesus? Do you not know by the lives of some of Christ's dear saints that he is familiar with them? Do you not perceive that they have had a special anointing? The ungodly world cannot tell it, but saints discern it. Let people see Jesus in all that we do. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord, you are good and you are holy. And Lord, we just so enjoy seeing you in every bit of Scripture that we read and we praise you for that. Thank you for the details, Jesus. Thank you for the way that you minister to us and encourage us through these things. Help us to be a fragrant aroma before you. Even now, right now, Jesus, as we stand to worship you, we pray, Lord, that it would be a fragrant aroma, that our prayers would come to you like the sweetness of this incense and these oils that you commanded them to to bring and make, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for endlessly pursuing us and constantly being in that honeymoon, stay with us, Lord. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Williams at Redemption Church in Delray Beach. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We pray it was an encouragement. It was a blessing to you as we love to pursue and to proclaim Jesus together. And so no matter what you're listening, whether it be YouTube or our podcast, you can go to more resources at redemptiondb.com and even partner with us in ministry to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. God bless you. And thank you so much for listening.